Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Living Free on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness. My name's Bill, and for the next hour, my guests will be sharing with you their journey of recovery from active alcoholism. I'd like to welcome Christy and Sanjay to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi, Hi Bill. Bill. Thank you. Uh, as members of Alcoholics Anonymous, they'll share with us their experience of alcoholism and how AA has helped them. Um, now, we usually start, Sanjay, with... Um, how, how it all began for you. Yeah. So um, how did you get into drinking? Yes. Um, well, look, it all started um, when I was about 15. I went on a school trip and um, to feel part of the gang. Uh, we went to the local pub. Um, it was underage, but uh, uh, that's what we wanted to do. And I took a drink and um, I loved the effect. It was beautiful. It uh, it changed right from the off. It changed the way I felt, and um, and uh, what I what I realised it, it took away, although I couldn't see it at the time, but it took away a lot of uh, insecurities in my life. Uh, I had a lot of fear, a lot of disconnection to the people around me in my life. My dad drank, and he drank heavily, and uh, I vowed that I wouldn't become like him. But I liked the drinking, and it, and it set me off. Yeah. yeah. So. It changed everything. It, yeah. So did it? Um, did it make you feel like a different person? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, it it really did uh, sort of bring me out of my shell. I could do things which I could never do for myself, which is one of the sayings that I heard early yeah. days, and and that's so true. I was the cast clown. I was able to talk to people. I was able to chat to girls. I was able to create a different person, um, and I loved it. Yeah, I love the I've heard it. It. It, it, sound, it. it feels like all the loose screws are tightened. That you, yeah, for once you're you're together. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, I felt connected. I mm. felt present because yeah. I was never present. Yeah. So you also grew up in an alcoholic home. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So my earliest memories were that um, I was five or six when I first really noticed that Dad used to come home and was different. You know, um, I knew he worked hard. He, he did long shifts, um, and uh, but he'd come home and he'd look different. And I could tell by his eyes he'd been there'd been something going on. I'd, and I realised obviously um, that he was drink was drinking. And but it was the consequences of those drinking that I saw in the household. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of um, abuse, for verbal abuse and, and physical abuse. And uh, I saw that firsthand and. I was the eldest of four boys, and I was—I—I I, I took it on, you know. But little did I realise that you know, I was very, very sensitive. I was full of fear, and I couldn't put words to that at the time. But I just—I uh, said, uh, I don't like drinking, and what it does, from what I saw and what I observed. Yeah. Yeah. And so, looking at your dad, you didn't want to be like that. No. No. Last no. No, no. No. And and I created, you know, and uh, I beca- created a lot of resentment against him and my family. And, and uh, people around me and and to the world, to be honest. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so, Christy, um, you had a different 
entry into yes. into drinking. Uh, so you start off with with drugs. Yeah. Look. Um I, you know, similarly as Sanjay came from an alcoholic um, background and the last thing that I wanted to do was drink. I thought it was beneath me. Um, I hated the effects of alcoholism. Um, I hated living with the impact of it and I swore that that would never be me. Um, But I also felt deeply uncomfortable in the world and I didn't know how to navigate this world and I didn't necessarily have a language to be able to articulate that. And, you know, as anyone who grows up with alcoholism knows, um, so much of your world you have to keep secret so that reaching out and asking for help and trying to tell people trying to even articulate what was going on for me from a young age um you know the few times that I did speak up I felt like I wasn't met with what I needed so I shut back down and um so by the time you know I really really struggled with insomnia as a teenager and as a young child because of stress like, and that yeah. was the way it sort of manifested. And, you know, I had lots of different psychosomatic illnesses. And so by the time I was about, I don't know, my, my mid-teens, and um, I discovered something that helped me sleep. Right. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I, can finally, I can finally sleep at night. You know, that was a big thing for me, not being able to sleep. But unfortunately for me, that wasn't – I didn't use that substance just as a solution to sleep. It just became a part of my everyday existence. Right. And, you know, that was my journey with drugs and up until, you know, I sort of, um, I couldn't, I could no longer get my drug of choice and I turned to alcohol. That's essentially how it happened. Um, it became my last drug of choice. You know, I was sort of in the midst of leaving an abusive relationship. I had a young child um, and drinking just really took off as a way to be able to cope and navigate this terrifying world. Right. So how much were you drinking each day? What was your... Oh, at that stage, like, yeah, there was no grace period with my drinking. It wasn't like I was going out for a few drinks and it was, you know, a bit of fun of an eye time, a way to relieve pressure. It was like first thing in the morning till I could pass out at the end of the day. And like, look, sorry, not first thing in the morning. If I, I would try my best to put off my first drink of the day, you know, and if I could get to say two o'clock in the afternoon, then all the energy that I could muster would be spent trying to put off that drink until that time. And that, that was absolutely exhausting. So I couldn't do that every day, you know, and I couldn't do that and be present for anyone, you know. So sometimes just to relieve the obsession, the thinking about it, I would start earlier. Um, and, yeah, on a, some, some days I would try and almost like plan my drinking so that I was drinking so much that I made myself so sick that I could go a day without drinking. And that next day would always be like waking up sober, like it was just so different. But I, I, I'd keep trying for that. I'm like, maybe I've just got to make myself really sick and I'll get sick of it. Um, but that didn't happen. It just got worse and worse. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a solution. <laughs> Strange that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, so, Sanjay, you, you said you um, continued drinking for about 20 years. So yeah. what was happening in your life at that point? So. You're yeah, obviously finishing school, starting work. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take the story from there. So at 15, I, as I said, I was at school trip when I took my first drink. And uh, as I said, I love the effect. And uh, for me, as as well as drinking, I discovered gambling. I discovered drugs. This was the late 80s in London. There was a sort of an underground scene and there were these new new things on the scene. And um, I took them and uh, it, it just enhanced my whole experience about drinking and drugging. And, um, and you know, I I I, um, I wanted to rebel as part of that, but but 
constantly and I couldn't as I couldn't see it because I was in so much delusion really um, I was scared of life and so I look forward to the weekends right I didn't drink every day um, but I look forward to that weekends which where I would just obliterate myself and and hide yeah. um, but what was constant is then I'd wake up well what, what a lot uh, what we what I see here uh, when I came in here is that that impending sense of doom when I woke up from a bender and uh, and then that guilt, shame and remorse. Vow I won't do it again or I'll control it or I'll do something different. Um, and it never happened. You know, my life was really, really, really narrow, to be honest. And um, but it was it, it seemed a normal one. I was I was, you know, I had these uh, moral convictions like <laughs> live fast, die young. You know, yeah, all that kind of th- yeah. just wrong thinking about everything. I didn't want to grow up, to be honest, and uh, I just wanted to party. You know, I worked hard, but I, I worked hard only because I needed the money to go and do what I wanted to do. Yeah. But even then, I couldn't manage <coughs> my life yeah. in any respect. And well-meaning people would say to me, "What's wrong with you? What's the matter with you?" People, people really close to me, especially my family and other people, and um, I'd reject it. You know, I was just this whirlwind causing havoc behind me and I couldn't see it. Yeah. Mm. So what did your workmates think? Well, see, they wouldn't know because okay. what I was yeah. great at is being this chameleon and acting in a certain fashion in different groups. Right, yeah. In our recovery process from Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a great passage in, in, in the basic text where it talks about I'm the actor on the stage. You know, and I was. <laughs> yeah. So you would never get to know me. No. Yeah. My work colleagues wouldn't get to know the real me. I, I really identify with becoming that Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde character. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Um, so you did that, you drank progressively through your 20s? 20s, yeah. So, so as I said, uh, late teens. So at those, in those times, when you're late teens, early 20s, it, you can disguise it very, very well in that environment with, with your peer groups, right? But you get into your mid-20s in the late 20s and I knew for a long time there was something wrong I couldn't put my finger on it because all this other thing in my life was unmanageable I couldn't I couldn't control my finances I couldn't control relationships I was having having this feeling of depression I was full of fear I felt this separateness this disconnection constantly Um, you know and um, and I went to doctors and psychiatrists and counsellors and other people and they couldn't really diagnose anything either or help me because I'd always pick up or oh, plus you probably wouldn't tell them what was really what was really happening <laughs> and you're absolutely <laughs> spot on Bill because I was a professional liar yeah I lied and cheated and manipulated my way to get what I wanted to do yeah you know and I couldn't see it and so yeah that that's what happened through my 20s you know and then in the end it stops working and so no matter how much I'm doing it's not working anymore so I'm still got all these isms as i call them mm. and uh it's getting into a dark place then yeah. right okay um so christy so you've um you've found yourself in a in a pretty terrible situation where you your drinking is becoming un, unbearable mm-hmm. but you, you didn't really think that you could stop drinking no i was caught um in what it describes in the big book as the jumping off place it's that place of being not not wanting to continue drinking because I could see how destructive it was and that it had taken over my life, but not being able to envision my life without it. 
the thought of having to wake up every day and try not to use or drink, it was inconceivable to me by that point. Like I had no power of choice. The the power of choice had completely gone. And um, it was a really terrifying place to be because from that point on, it just, it all seemed completely hopeless. Um, And... Yeah, it's. I guess it's that point where you you can't see. Well, I, I guess I, from my experience, I grew up with an alcoholic father, so mm-hmm. I couldn't see that it would be any different, because I couldn't see how I could make it different. I didn't understand that I could get help or I could ask for help, because in an alcoholic family, you, you can't afford to admit a weakness because no, that's it'll be exactly used right. against you. So you you just sort of you don't ask for help. You don't admit. Yeah. Yeah, like I, you know, it's only sort of now in my recovery that I'm discovering just how limited my problem-solving skills are. Again, because like, you know, at that point, I I had sought a lot of answers. You know, like like Sanjay said, you know, I'd been to doctors, I'd been to psychiatrists, I'd been diagnosed with things, I'd studied things, you know, like little did I know, I studied um transpersonal counseling and art therapy in 2010 and so much of that course was about um, based on Jung's work and Jungian psychology. And, you know, Jung basically gave us our second step sort of thing. So, like, I was seeking answers in that direction, but nothing could give me this cohesive thing that could help me be able to navigate the world and feel okay in the world and um, and just want to be here. You know, from, from a very early age, like in my early teens, I can remember just that feeling of just being so exhausted by life and not knowing how anyone goes on and does this for, like, another 50, 60, like, God forbid, 70 years. I yeah. just I just had enough. Um, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> right. <laughs> it is good. Uh, a good. It's good to be able to put it into, into perspective as to how terrible it was and what, what the outlook on life is is just so bad. It's just this tunnel that just gets worse and worse. Yeah. And you just can't ever see it changing mm-hmm. because you're just focused – on such a narrow part of life, yeah. And, you know, drinking and using was my solution to be able to cope with life. And yeah. what was I going to do if you took away my solution? What was I going to do then? Yeah. How was I going to How was yeah. I going to cope? How was I, you know, and looking at this young child that I had and knowing that I was turning into exactly what I grew up with, but from what I could see, it was worse because I was a single parent. It wasn't even a two-parent household. Mm. You know, I was worse. I was supposed to be the one that he could rely upon and... Um, I wasn't the person I wanted to be at all. And I think that's the thing about it. It's like, no, I could see the incongruency between the person that I wanted to be and the way that I wanted to behave, but I had no way of doing that. I had no way of being that person. And um, no matter how much I wanted to, I, I, I couldn't change for any consistent amount of time over a prolonged period. Um, yeah. And I just didn't know where to go. Mm. So, Sanjay, you obviously had similar feelings, and yeah. so you sought sought help. Yeah. That's right. So, as I said, I I, I sought help uh, in fits and starts, to be honest, because um, just going back to what Christy was saying and, and your previous question, really, I led a double life. Yeah. So people were never going to see this other side because I would drink and end up in places completely different I would I, so for example I would go out with my friends but I'd leave them yeah. and disappear yeah mm. you know and I thought that was normal and then make a joke about that but really I was just a selfish 
put it put another twist on it. I was just selfish. Yeah. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do, you know. And, and it's be constant. And in the end, my my world gets very narrow. And uh, it was just this little cycle of uh, of alcoholism and addiction, you know. And um, although I couldn't see, it, I thought it was just a normal one, you know. But but now, getting to my late twenties, it stops working. Yeah. You know, drinking stops working. Out of drugs, I can't take enough drugs. I can't gamble enough money away. I can't. And so now what's happening is that uh, these feelings of separateness, disconnection are increasing. And, uh, uh, you know, I didn't know it, but the disease of alcoholism is in my mind. And I'm now I'm now getting, as I said earlier, getting into dark places around yeah. it, And I'm getting suicidal, to be honest. Yeah. And, and I'm ringing numbers to ask what's wrong with me, like the Samaritans or something. But just bawling my eyes out because I needed someone to listen mm-hmm. to how I really felt. But I couldn't. But even then, I couldn't get honest. Yeah. I was just this ball of, um, ball, just ball of just uh, emotions, just inside that were never going to come out. I would tell you fits and starts and little bits, but never the whole truth. You know, yeah. even to my doctors, even to them. But I'm glad I did a little bit of truth to my doctor because that starts the um, that starts the journey into starts recovery. the process. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, the other thing that I found too was that I didn't have the language to explain how I felt. Mm. Yeah. And it was only really once I got into a bit of recovery that I people started using words and I thought, hmm, that's, that's how I feel. Mm. And that really helps when you've got a language that you can use to tell somebody else, this is how I feel. And they can sort of nod and you go, yeah, maybe I'm not so strange. Yeah, mm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you and you and you. And your life seems a, no, a, the, a normal one. Yeah. To yeah. me, my yeah. life seemed normal. Yeah. It yeah. was everyone else's fault. <laughs> and that's how I operate it. So yeah. it's not me the problem. So no. why are you looking at me? Yeah. And what I do is uh, defend myself through anger, lash out, especially the people closest to me. Then I'd act differently in front of somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, or push them away. It's Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, welcome back. Um, you're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on your digital radio. Uh, at this point of the show, we usually do a couple of plugs for um, other events that are out there. And the first one is the IPAN National Conference. So they're about war, peace and independence, keep Australia out of US wars. And it's on from September the 8th, so it's, I think it's this weekend, September the 8th to the 10th in Melbourne. Um, at the Jasper Hotel Conference Centre, 489 Elizabeth Street, Melbourne, CBD. Probably if you go to their website, you'll see all the details. Uh, The second one is a public forum from marriage equality to queer liberation, building the movement. It's on Tuesday, September the 12th at 6.30pm at the Resistance Centre, Level 5, 407 Swanson Street, City, and it's part of the Socialist Alliance. If you look at their website, you'll probably pick it up. Well, we're talking today with um, Sanjay and Christy about recovering and having recovered from uh, alcoholism and primarily through the help of AA. Um, so I guess, Sanjay, we've, we've been talking about your, your slide into alcoholism mm. uh, through your teens and 20s. Yeah. And so there must come a point when it all gets a bit much and you just go, <coughs> I've got to get help. Absolutely, absolutely. And so the first first time I really got honest, uh, I went to a doctor and uh, 
and this was now I'm, I'm in my early 30s I'm 33 34 at the time and I go to the doctor and I get a little bit honest and I tell him I'm what I'm doing although I'm not fully honest he says stop doing what you're doing as naturally a doctor yeah. would um, <laughs> But he writes a referral letter for me because he says it might come in useful for me somewhere to get some professional help. So I take that letter and I go home and um, and this is where I you know, I don't believe in coincidences anymore. There's 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 the universe now which I believe in was guiding me into the into into AA and um, I went home and uh, I was clinging on to my job at the time um, and through work I had some health insurance and. Uh, I flicked through one of their booklets and there was a, a well, because I'm from London, if you don't understand my, <laughs> my accent, but uh, <laughs> uh, there was a well-known uh, rehab called the Priory Hospital in North London and I saw it in the back of this booklet through health insurance that I had through work and I went, ah, oh, that's a bit of me because I knew that's where these celebrities and these other people were going to, they go in for going for 28 days, that's what I used to read in the, in the, in the papers and I thought, ah. Oh, Maybe that's what I need. Anyway, I rang the, the hospital and my story is that uh, I was just going to mention that I had depression or something. And, but the words that came out of my mouth when I rang the reception uh, at that hospital was, uh, I need to talk to someone about addiction. And um, the lady put me through to the uh, psychiatrist there and uh, I went in the next week and I took my referral letter with me and... Um, you know, the, the, my journey started from there because he said something to me which uh, which just made me break down. He said, uh, "I remember this like yesterday." He said, "I see a little boy," mm, yeah. and what we talked about earlier—that masks to the world—was shattered. And as soon as he said those words, I broke down and I cried, and and I knew I was in the right place. And they wanted me to go in straight away, and I didn't go in straight away, and uh, I did go in. Uh, eventually on January the 13th 2005 which is my sobriety date so I've been uh, a grateful recovered alcoholic since then so I'm 12 and a half years sober wow that's great yeah, yeah. Um, so Christy you're mm -hmm. in a pretty terrible situation mm -hmm. you you have a young child you're leaving a marriage or leaving a, a home so things mm -hmm. must start getting pretty awful yeah so Look, I mean, given the circumstances that I was leaving under, you know, I had there were intervention orders in place and I was sort of couch surfing for a while with a young child and I was in full active um, alcoholism. And, you know, I thought in the back of my head, I thought maybe once things settle down a little bit, um, my drinking will settle down. Once, you know, we find somewhere to live, once things aren't so bad with, you know, my ex-partner, um... You know, which is kind of the thought that I'd carried on through my whole life at that point. I'm like, I'll grow out of this. One day I will just be able to cope. One day the world will just, I will just be able to cope in the world, you know. And so, yeah, I thought that. But then, you know, we got a place to live and things sort of calmed down a little bit. But the drinking didn't stop. It was just as bad as, and it was just getting worse. And so at that point I, um, I knew that I wasn't capable of caring for my son anymore in that state. Um, and that's a really hard realisation and that's a really hard thing to admit to yourself that, that that's where I'm at, that no matter how much I loved him, that love wasn't enough to stop me drinking. Nothing, nothing could stop me, you mm. know. Um, and that's that's how powerful it is and that 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 really broke my heart. So, you know, I thought the best decision that I can make for him is for, you know, in my head I'm making alternate 
custody arrangements for him, potentially with my family. Um, and I had to take myself out of the equation. And, you know, I've said often I didn't, I didn't want to kill myself, I just wanted to die. But at that point I couldn't, I didn't know how I was going to live with that decision of giving him up and because I couldn't stop drinking. So I thought the kindest thing I can do for everyone rather than to have to watch me go down um, was to take myself out of the equation and I thought whatever trauma that they have to live with as a result of that is better than what the alternative is. Um, and to, to be honest, in that state, that was I felt like the kindest, most least selfish thing that I could do. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's the thing about my drinking and um, my using. It's just so self-centred. It keeps me so trapped in myself. The only thing I can think about is me and what I need in that moment and how I feel. I have no capacity to, to give and I have no capacity to take other people's feelings on board really, even if I want to. There's just nothing else there. It's just no. all about me. No. Um, and I, I hated that. I hated that. You know, the third step talks about it, you know, in the prayer, the freedom of the bondage of self. I remember when I first read that prayer and I was like, oh, my God, that, as you said before, that finally articulates what I've been looking for, that freedom for myself, you know. But in that moment, I, I didn't have that and I couldn't even conceive of ever having that. I didn't even know how that was possible and I thought I'd exhausted all my avenues. And so anyway, I'm um, I'm sort of making these sort of plans, not that I'm talking to anyone about it, of course. And um, I get a phone call from my sister, my younger sister, one day, and she goes, oh, would you like to, you know, go out for a coffee together? And, you know, when you just know, I'm like, this is not a coffee <laughs> in the way that I think it's a coffee. Um, she, you know, my drinking has always been in secret. My using, even when I was around other drinkers and users, I would still be hiding, you yeah. know. And I think um, that that tells me <laughs> tells you something about, about the way that I used and I drank. Um so, you know, this wasn't a conversation that was readily on the table that I wanted to have with anyone. And if anyone, especially if a family member ever brought it up, it was just shot down. Like it was met with that reaction. We do not talk about this. I, I'm, I do not want to discuss this with you. Mm. But, you know, somewhere with, you know, inside myself, I knew that she was going to have this conversation with me. And um, on one level, I really welcomed it, you know. So I went to, to have this coffee and this meal with her and, she sat me down and I was just waiting for it. You know, we made kind of meaningless chit-chat until she said, oh, so how's your drinking? And, um, <laughs> and I just broke. And, you know, I broke down and I bawled my eyes out. I'm like, I can't stop. And that was, at that point, the most honest I think I'd ever been in my life because that was the truth of it. Like, at that point, it wasn't just about me wanting to keep this thing and not lo- wanting to let go of it. I couldn't stop no matter how much I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um and I was honest with her and, and I had no idea what to do. And she she suggested taking me to an AA meeting, which, you know, I agreed to because <laughs> it was that or death. And I, um, you know, but in the back of my head, I'm like, I don't understand how sitting in a room with everyone talking about what drinking used to be like, which is all I thought AA was, is going to stop me from drinking. But it's my last ditch effort. And if it doesn't work, I haven't lost anything, but I've got to at least try. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yes, it's... Um that feeling where self-will can't overcome self-will, no. it's, yeah, it's a dangerous place to be, but it it's a, that's a great realisation. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, so, Sanjay, you, um, you decided to seek help. You've mm. got yourself, you've got a referral. Yes. So what happens next? What happens? <laughs> <laughs> so so I, have, uh, I didn't go in straight away, by the way, after I saw that psychiatrist at that, at that rehab. Uh, that was in December 2004. Um, because uh, 
you know, I had, I had better things to do, to be honest, I thought at the time. Uh, and this fear of, you know, I couldn't put words to it at the time, but it was just fear of, of, of embarking on something and to, 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 to change what I was doing. So I had another four-week bender. But as I said, I came in on January 13, 2005, entered that rehab facility. See, I, I had no concept of recovery, by the way. You know, no. I'd attended one 12-step fellowship a few months before, and I'd saw the word, there was a word there about the, the prayer, and I thought, no, this is not me. What, how's this going to help? Anyway, so I had no concept. I thought the recovery in 28 days at that rehab, they were going to teach me how to drink and do things normally. Yeah. And, and control yeah. it, you know, <laughs> yeah. and give me a pill or give me some kind of tools to use and and, yeah. and off you go, polish me up and away I go. Little did I realise that, um, and the first thing they said to me, Sanjay, you're very, very sick. And I hadn't come across that concept that alcoholism, alcoholism, that it was a disease, mm. you know, and uh, the bell should have gone off because I was in the psych ward, which is dressed up as the addiction therapy unit. And it was a 28-day program. Uh, the windows only went so far. Yeah. <laughs> the door was unlocked. These were little clues I should have picked up on, but I didn't. Mm. There was some literature, 12-step literature on, the, on, on my bedside table, and I flicked through it, and I thought it could be in any other language, to be honest. Uh, this is What's this about? And um, the beautiful people there, um, because they, 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 uh, they gave me the... Uh, the spark of this journey, said Sanjay, as uh, you know, you're very, very sick. We can't really help you. Nothing can cure alcoholism addiction, but you can recover. And we suggest you get, and it was a 12-step based rehab. And uh, we suggest you get to the meeting in the art block. It was, uh, it was a meeting in the art block that night. And uh, when you go in, and these little things I've picked up now, but they said, listen to similarities and not differences. Because I'd always think it was somebody else's fault, and if you had my life, you'd do what I did, right? But I went in there, and I was, and I was shattered. To be, you know, I've got to say this: I was absolutely shattered. I was, as I said, I was suicidal. Drinking had really stopped working, but I couldn't stop. I'd lost all power. My life was completely unmanageable, and uh, and, in, and in the pit of my stomach, I, I just, I just knew I just couldn't do life anymore. So I went to my first meeting, and I heard a guy share. And I sat at the back and I started to lift my head up because what I was getting in that very first meeting was what we look for in Alcoholics, which is identification. And for years I tried doctors and psychiatrists and therapists and self-will and running away and none of it worked. But here was a guy telling my story and I identified with his story. He had different backgrounds, but he shared and I went, that's me. And got, what I got in my very first meeting was hope. Yeah. But you, yeah. you don't drink anymore. How, how, did you, how do you do that? And so I had this little, you know, and I call it a spiritual moment. It was a spiritual moment. And I knew my life was never going to really be the same from that day forward because I found my belonging. I found my connection. And um, because I'd always felt on the outside of life and separate and disconnected but here in this room with other people around me I identified it's like coming home absolutely yeah. it was it was absolutely mm. like feeling like coming home yeah so um Christy so mm -hmm. coming into AA then what did you what was your first thought of what the hell's going on here Oh, look, I, to get to my first meeting, I have to be honest, I had to scull two bottles of wine. Um, 
I that was the only way that I could walk in those doors. And you know, fortunately, I had my sister with me, and she was driving. We actually had a laugh about it recently because <laughs> I stayed at her place that night. Um, she took me, and I was like in the bedroom for ages, thinking that she doesn't know what I'm doing. You know, but I'm sculling wine. Um, but she knew what I was doing. And anyway, so that was the only way that I could walk in and I walked in and, you know, I couldn't talk to anyone. I couldn't even look anyone in the eye, let alone talk to anyone. And I knew that I'd be drinking, so I felt super guilty for that. But it was the only way that I could get there. And um, I walked in and I sat down the back. And from my memory, it was a really big meeting, but that may not be accurate. I'm not really sure. But there were just people everywhere and I sat down the back and I cried because I heard people talk about things that up until that point I didn't even have the courage to articulate to myself. I heard people talk about things that I thought were so shameful that I felt so humiliated about that I thought I can never speak of this. Like I have to carry this around, all these secrets, all these things that disconnect me and cut me off, you know, from the things that I so desperately want. I have to carry around, I can't admit, but I heard people share things in a way that they weren't sitting there, you know, drunk and um, sobbing in the corner like I was, that they seemed free of it. They could talk about it in a way that wasn't divorced or removed, but as though they'd moved past these things. And, you know, my drunken state, that just like, that was, all I could do was cry, but I felt, I already felt a release. I felt like there was somewhere for me to go. There was some place that what I'm experiencing isn't unique. A whole lot of people have done it before me. And there's, there's there's a solution on offer and there's another solution to my life um, rather than drinking and using. So that, you know, that was the first bit of hope that I had. And, um, you know, I didn't get sober from that day. I, um, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily get a lot of direction in those early days, but I got somewhere to go from people who were really welcoming. There wasn't a lot of recovery. I went to meetings in the beginning that were really... Um, meetings based like the fellowship was recovery and I got little bits of time up here and there like I got little uh, pockets like a couple of weeks here and a couple of weeks there but I couldn't get any consistent uh, time up at that point but it did give me hope and it did give me somewhere to go yeah yeah I think the Mm. hope's the big thing where you can see that there is something else Mm. and and Mm. there is something else that can be achieved and that there's something else that can help you absolutely Yeah. yeah You're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Uh, I'm talking to Christy and Sanjay, uh, who are members of Alcoholics Anonymous, about recovery and recovering in AA. Um, so, Sanjay, um, you got into recovery, you got into rehab. Yep. You started listening. You started identifying. Yes. So what happens next? So what happens for me is that um, I get this hope in the first few meetings that are associated with that rehab. And, um, you know, the rehab job really was to break my denial and delusion down that I was different, that I didn't have alcoholism or addiction. And so in the third week from that group um, where I went to that first meeting, uh, I asked a guy to to be my sponsor and a sponsor is basically someone who's worked the 12 steps um, uh, from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, in my case and um, I asked him and I was quite fearful but he asked me two questions you know and he just said Sanjay have you had enough and uh, look I'm locked up for 28 days (laughs) so I'm in the nut house and I'm thinking yes I've had enough you know and I had nowhere else to go because I'd reached my my rock bottom 
And um, and then he said, are you willing to go to any lengths for victory over alcoholism? And I said, yes, you know, because he wanted to know that I was serious about doing the work, which he'd done and which he'd sponsored, taken through and taken through and taken through, and which goes all the way back to when AA was first created. So um, I said, yes, and said, great. So meet me at my house, bring your, bring your big book, which is the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, and uh, and we'll we'll start the work and uh, and that's twelve steps, you know. Um, so the first step, you know, so for me to find the solution, I had to understand the problem. And what what the first few chapters of the book really says to me is, Sanjay, do you lose power, choice, control when it comes to alcohol? And for me, other things as well. But yeah, I do. I lose power, choice, control. You know, I can look you in the eye right now and be able to say, I'm not going to do it again. You know, usually it was my mum or my yeah. friends or yeah. my family or somebody, a close relative, whatever. And I would say, no, I'm not doing it again. But there I am all led up again. And then I have this guilt, shame and remorse. You know, mm. So I realised that the problem, you know, and really identifies in the first few chapters, the problem centres in my mind. That's why I realised I was in a psych ward, right? It, you know, alcoholism, addiction is a mental illness, right? And uh, the doctor's opinion, which is a chapter at the beginning of the book, really, I really took tons in on that. And then from, so so understanding the problem, then I can find the solution. So if I'm powerless, what I need is power. You know, and I was always seeking something. You know, I was trying to connect somehow, somewhere, but I'd found this. And in the early days, the group was enough for me just to get started with this work, you know, and... um, my story is that uh, I did that work. You know, I came in on January the thirteenth. I caught, you know, and I had these spiritual moments. You know, in, in the in the book, you know, I do you do your, the third step prayer and these little moments. But my real profound change, because I call my alcoholism the noise in my head. Yeah. My noise in my head wouldn't shut up, and I couldn't put words how I always used to feel as a kid, which is I was always irritable and restless and discontent. I couldn't sit still. I can't. I couldn't do this. I couldn't look mm. you in the eye. I just I was always constantly on edge. Um, but here, here I was in these pages. But he said, "You know, read yourself into these pages." Bill's story. I'm not a New York stockbroker in the '30s, but I do identify with Bill's spiral downwards. His drinking, his thinking, his behaviour. Yeah. You know, uh, his ego. <laughs> I had a huge ego, but coupled with low self worth, low self esteem. You know, and um, and then what happened for me was that I just shared my some of my my secrets with my sponsor which is a step four five process and i made that third step decision. and the only reason i'm doing this work is now to unblock myself from the power the new power source as i said in the early days for me that was just the power of the group but i went home and i did the work and it was a step seven area and um i did the little prayer there and um the noise in my head stopped that day bill and i felt this calm peace take over me it was a sunday night it was april the 3rd 2005 so in about three months i had this process done and and i rang a member who was a good close friend of mine i said paul the noise has stopped and he said welcome yeah welcome you know and it was my spiritual moment you know and I, what what i liked about aa was i i'm choosing my own conception of higher power yeah spirituality mm. and for me this is very much a spiritual program mm. Yeah. yeah. So that commenced my work in in AA. Yeah. So were you able to reconcile with your father? Absolutely. Yeah. And so part of that process after that is that um, I'm going to go and make amends to the people that I'd hurt, especially the people closest to me. Yeah. Uh, to my mum, to my dad, to my brothers. Started to, have to pay the money back. I, I robbed a lot of institutions because I needed to feed my addictions. Um. 
I got relief from that. And I remember I was told in the early days, Sanjay, how free do you want to be? You know, yeah. This program's called yeah. Living Free. Yeah. And, you know, and I wanted to be free. I didn't want to look over my shoulder anymore because um, I caused a lot of, a lot of uh, destruction in my life. It was all of my own making. I couldn't see it because I used to think it was everyone else's fault, but it was all my own fault. And uh, the way I operated in the world, I had these, uh, I had these false convictions and false morals. And, but um, you know, I was through this process able to 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 reconcile. Um, and and for me, this is not about words because mm. my family had heard yeah. words before. Yeah, this was all about action, and then suiting up and showing up. And doing doing what I'm saying I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. carry through and follow it through, and yeah. and, and, and 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 grow up. To be honest, because uh, I couldn't grow up. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, um, Christy, what was so your entry into AA? So you, you've come in pretty much still drunk, and you've taken six months to try and sort yourself out. So, sure. what what was the turning point for you to getting serious? Look, I I knew there was something in the rooms, but I knew what I was being fed wasn't what I needed to – I knew I needed something different. It's kind of hard to articulate. but Something more, yeah. Yeah, so look, I was seeking these answers out, and I wasn't necessarily getting in the meetings that I was going to, but I don't remember the chain of events necessarily, but somehow I got to a steps meeting. And um, I heard people discussing the steps and um, – as a continuum, you know, and that was the first time that I identified that the program of recovery is the steps, it's the work, the the fellowship is secondary to that. And, you know, as soon as I realized that I was bang, I was off, you know, I was, I was getting a sponsor. I wanted to get stuck into the work and there were a lot of things that, um, a lot of, I don't know, things that happened in that time that prevented me from being able to go as fast as I wanted to. And I had to, you know, change sponsors and all this, but I never lost that drive, you know, and that willingness. Like I had that willingness. Once I understood what I was supposed to do, that was it. I was off, you know, and there was something about this work that just, I knew it was, I knew it was right for me and I got so much out of it. And the more, the more I went through it, the more the clutter was cleared, the more I got this connection to this thing that I had been longing for. And, you know, I still can't, I still can't name it. I don't know what it is. All I know is when I'm connected to this power source, I am able to act in a way that I hear there too couldn't before. You mm. know what I mean? Like I am able to act. All of a sudden I have a clarity. I, 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 I'm act in line with my values. And um, it's not that I don't, get scared about the decision that I'm making necessarily or it's not that I don't feel fear or that I don't feel resentment or anything like that. It's just I have that, you know, I, 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 do, I do as the book tells me to do. I pause when agitated. I um I seek guidance. I, you know, I have a sponsor and... um. Uh, yeah, I think it's... I think what you're describing is confidence. Yeah. That for a start you have... First time you have confidence in yourself that you won't mess it up and that you'll, you'll try to go through it. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, and I think that that really means that a lot to people who have very low self-esteem and I think coming out of a, an active alcoholic family, your confidence, you know, you're put <coughs> down and squashed down and mm. everything for so long that you just have such little self-worth that you don't really think that you can do stuff. Definitely. Yeah. When I... You know, when I came into the rooms, I I hated who I was. Like, I had such self-loathing, yeah. you know. I really 
And this had been something that had been building up over my life, you know, it'd be accumulating. And I didn't know how that was ever going to change. You know, like, as I said, you know, previously, like I'd sought counsellors and psychologists and medication and all, all this to try and change those internals and to change the way that I felt and change the way that I felt about myself and what I've discovered through this program and this program of action. Like I thought I had to change my feelings first. I thought that stuff had to change. Mm. But what I've discovered is through taking actions bit by bit over time, the way I feel about myself has just changed Mm. incrementally as a result. I haven't had to force anything. I haven't had to, um, you know, overanalyze anything. It's just naturally happened as a result. I've acted my way into being a different person, you Mm. know, and that, and that's what I love about this because the, the program is really clear. It's really concise. It's really simple. It's super easy to follow. And you follow that. And all of a sudden, like the steps never change, but I change consistently as a result of doing them i get constant yeah. growth yeah and, and that's what i need and all of a sudden you know like i'm not sitting in this place of perfection like all of a sudden i can navigate the world without problems you know um you know i'm encountering problems now that you know i have only as a result of staying sober and my world broadening and you know i'm finding myself now in a space where there there are i guess um skills that I need to learn, adult skills that I need to learn that I spent a lot of time neglecting. You know, I used to pride myself on avoiding responsibility. That that, yep. that was that was a good thing I used to think. Yep. You know, I'm like, I'll just I just won't get really connected to anything. I just won't commit to anything. I'll just be this person. I'll be free. And all it did is create this other kind of prison. Now I meet my responsibilities and I get a freedom as a result of doing that. You know, it's the total opposite of what I thought. But I'm also not equipped to deal with the world as I think a 34-year-old should be, you know, (laughs) I've still got, and that's okay. Like, I'm okay with that. Like, I've still got time to go. I'm only two and a half years into this gig. And, you know, I I see myself here for a very long time, I I hope, God willing. Um, So, you know, I see where I've been stunted as a result of my drinking and my using. And it's like, yeah, I start at this point back here as like a teenager. I I don't get to start as a 34-year-old adult, you know. Yeah, Mm. yes. Yes, it's a it's a realization that um, the stunted growth has huge effects on the way yeah. you think, you know, and and, and you're mm. very childish thinking. Definitely. And once you sort of realize that actually, yeah, you you're a bit older and you should you should be a bit beyond that, and you go, yeah, I can do this and get out there, yeah. Mm. And that's that's really powerful because a couple of years ago I wouldn't have been able to admit that. To sit here and admit to not only to myself but to other people that, like, I'm not in that place. Like, I'm not wearing that – like, as Sanjay talked about, I'm not wearing that mask anymore. I'm Mm. not pretending to be anything other than what I am. But what a gift. Mm. Like, I don't Mm. have to be that person. I don't need your validation in that way to make myself feel okay. I'm not trying to set up the world around me in order for me – I'm not trying to control everything. And that's that's been – that's been really powerful. Yeah. yeah, just to be able to, as Sanjay said, be present. Like that's that's new. Yeah. It's really new. Yeah. So Sanjay, um, what's it like being an AA and being recovered, a recovered alcoholic, yeah. and sort of going out into the world? You know, what's yeah. what's it like? Yeah, exactly. Look, I, let me just clarify. Look, I'm a recovered alcoholic in the fact that I don't, you know, alcohol's not gone in my system for twelve and a half years. I'm not cured of alcoholism. Yeah. So I think the word for me is discipline. See, I was never disciplined. Yeah. Alcoholics Anonymous is the most uh, it's the most consistent thing I've ever done in my life. You know, I used to do things, but you know, pull pull the rug under myself because uh, that's what I used to do. You know, yeah. that's how that's I operate. Life. That's yeah. life. How yeah. I used to operate. And uh, so, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous now is is a way of life for me now. 
Um, for me, it is a spiritual program. Uh, I've become a seeker of spiritual practices to enlarge my spiritual condition. Um, there's certain things I have to do um, to to maintain being in a recovered state. That's not to say that life doesn't come at me. Life's yeah. going to come at me, challenges and all, and the good stuff. I just have a set of tools now I can deal with with whatever life brings me. You know, I've uh, in the last twelve and a half years, you know, I've, I've moved to another country. After two and a half years in recovery, you know, I was I fell in love and got married, and I moved here in two thousand and seven. Unfortunately, that marriage didn't last. We split up in 2012. But I have a beautiful daughter who's born here in Melbourne. She's now eight. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, she's never seen me drink or do any of that kind of stuff. But, uh, she, you know, she she has me as a father. You know, I, I never had any of this stuff. It, and it goes back to a well-known speaker I hear on, 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 on the AA circuit when I was first around. And I love this saying, I have problems in areas I didn't have areas. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> when I when I'm complaining about something, I go, I had never had that area. No, <laughs> with active yeah. alcoholism addiction, I never had that area. So now I'm, you know, anyway, and it sort of brings me back to kind of, and I smile to myself, and then, but I have a good a good group around me. I'm part of a men's group. Uh, mm. We meet on a Wednesday and a Sunday. Uh, we focus on the program, which is based in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and other literature that we use. Um, and I help people, you know, and the biggest gift that's given to me now is this transformation now of, of serving others. Yeah. Uh, the biggest thing now, which is right, really why I'm sitting here today, when I, when, I, when I sat in my home group last night and the, the guy next to me said, oh, they're looking for some speakers to go to a radio station to carry the message. And, and, I, and I, you know, the first thing I think is, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. You know, I never, never was able to think like that before. Because it would be something I'd either it had to be something for me, or I couldn't do it. I was just consumed with self. Yeah. But now, you know, that's this transformation's happened because I've just followed a few simple rules uh, to keep me in, in in that spirit, and um, and it's and it's impacted all aspects of my life. You yeah. Know, I I work in the corporate world, and you know, it's very fast moving, everything else. But I've used these tools to help me in everything. Yeah. And how to navigate life, uh, warts and all. Um, I try not to get too excited now and I try not to get too depressed now. Yeah. I try. Yeah. I practice. It's all about a practice. I will make mistakes constantly. But uh, these 12 steps allow me to sort of have a framework for living, which, uh, and it's a design for living, it says in our book. Uh, mm. You know, and look, the gifts for me is that I've been able to go and carry this message around the world. You know, I've traveled a lot. I've, I've, I have a lot of gifts, you know, and um, I just, I pinch myself sometimes because yeah. this is not. This is not the life I envisaged by myself 12 and a half years ago, um, Christmas 2004, when I'm in the fetal position trying to kill myself. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You know, I could never envisage this life that I have today. Yeah. This power source, you know, I call it God. I said, no, nah, no, nah, I've got a different plan for you. Yeah. <laughs> but I want you to do some work. I yeah. want you to help my kids. Okay. Mm. Thanks. Okay, well, we're really um, up to well, nearly nearly time. So if if you think AA could help you, uh, you can phone them on their helpline on 1300 222 222 or go online to aa.org.au. That's all we've got time for today, so I'd like to thank Christy and Sanjay for coming into the show at such short notice, as Sanjay just mentioned, <laughs> uh, to share their AA recovery experience with us. So thank you very much. Thank you Thanks, for having Bill. us. Thanks. Thank you. I uh, hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be taking, uh, talking for the first time this year about gambling addiction and we'll be joined by a couple of members of Gamblers Anonymous.